Good morning. Let us go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we can look to Christ, the church's one foundation, that we can look to you in hope that your love came through Christ Jesus, that we'd be reconciled to you, that we would be made new. Lord, I pray as we look through the letter to the Philippians, I pray that you would turn our eyes to how we are to have fellowship with you, that we are to be one in you, and that we are to be one in unity. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to draw us near to you, that you would use your word to sanctify us and convict us, Lord, to show us our need for you, and that we can find joy in the salvation that is in you alone. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd like to turn uh, in your Bibles, we'll be in Philippians. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And if you have recently went out of the state, well, even in the last five years, if you've went out of the state and came back into the state through the highway, um, I know that the highway that is near where I grew up, um, I grew up close to Ohio off of Route or Interstate 90. And I re- remember looking one time at, there was, there was a new sign, and this new sign was put in um, around 2018, a welcome sign for Pennsylvania. And it had a new slogan. And this new slogan was, Pursue Your Happiness. And, of course, if we look at this, we would think that's what the world looks for, is happiness. That the world looks for satisfying their own pleasure, their own happiness. And, of course, it says, Pursue Your Happiness looking inward toward yourself. And, of course, this happiness is something that depends on the circumstances. Something makes you happy. Something, a situation makes you happy. But when things aren't going right for you, you tend to be downcast. You tend to not be happy, but rather sad or any other negative emotions. Now, Paul's letter is often... Paul's letter to the Philippians is often referred to as the letter of joy. And this joy is something that is not circumstantial. This joy is is actually despite all circumstances and despite everything that goes around or goes on around you in bad situations, in in how people treat you and how people um, look at you and, and whether you suffer conflict, whether you suffer um, persecution, no matter what, this joy is a joy that is sustained through Christ. That joy is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And of course, it's not just a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. This joy is knowing that whatever the circumstances are, we can do, as Philippians 4.13 says, All things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul refers to this experience as as we read in the ESV, a partnership, or some other translations as fellowship or participation from the Greek word koinonia. This fellowship is specific, though, and it is centered on and focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Partnership or fellowship implies that participation happens. It is an active thing. It is not passive. And so thinking back to school or um, thinking back to uh, working at a job where you have to work in a group and you're being graded or judged by your performance, participation points were only given to you if you were involved. Participation requires involvement. 
And even in a silent partnership, there's still some involvement, some investment. And so the question comes, as Paul talks about a partnership in the gospel, as we'll read, we have to ask and look at what part do we have in this gospel? Certainly, the gospel itself is good news. And it's the good news that Jesus Christ died for us. That Jesus Christ came and for our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So of course, the gospel is about what Jesus did for us. But we are called to have an involvement in it called to take part in this gospel, in this good news, this message of reconciliation. In 1 John chapter 1, John starts his letter to the church. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. That you may too have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may com be complete. So today we're going to be looking at the fellowship the fellowship in the gospel. We're going to be one moment. Unexpected error. We're going to be looking at the fellowship of the gospel and how there is joy found in the fellowship of the gospel. Let me restart this. Not responding. Thank you, Windows. There we go. All right, sorry about that. So we will be looking at the fellowship in the gospel, and how there is joy found in the fellowship of the gospel. We're called to go out and to teach the nations, calling all to respond to the gospel. We're called to grow in grace and knowledge, to be like Jesus Christ. And we're called to love one another. The gospel, the gospel simply does not stop at just hearing it but we're called to respond and to participate, to have a fellowship in the gospel. We're called to continually take part in the gospel as a lifestyle. So let us go to our Bibles and read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers of, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment 
so that you may approve what is excellent and be so and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God in Paul's letter to the Philippians he urges them to look for look to Christ for strength that finding joy in the knowledge of him is the only way to find joy. Finding righteousness is found in him alone, in having the same mindset of Christ, of humility. Paul knew that God started this good work in them, and he urges them, as we are too called, to grow in Christ, embracing this lifestyle of fellowship in the gospel. We will look at how fellowship in the gospel includes evangelism, continual growth, and loving one another. That a believer's joy is found in the fellowship of the gospel. So I will ask you, where do you find your joy? Where is your joy found? Is it in the gospel? So first, evangelism must happen for fellowship to begin. As we see in verse 5, looking at this, as Paul is saying that he thanks God, remembering all these Philippians. And he mentions that it was their participation was from the first day until now. And so we look at this, that the first day, Something had to happen. How did these people who were involved in this letter, Paul, Timothy, all of the saints in Jesus Christ who were at Philippi, and notice when he was saying in this letter, all of you, I thank God for all of you, for all of you. This is a letter to everyone who is in Christ Jesus in Philippi. So how did they get their start? How did they have fellowship or partnership in this gospel from the first day until now? The first day was over a decade before this letter was written. And their fellowship began with Paul's second missionary journey. And we can see this account in Acts chapter 16, 1, or 11 through 40. And there's some clear accounts where two groups of people, they both are included, and these two accounts both include the telling of the gospel, the hearing of the gospel, and the responding of the gospel. And so evangelism, if you do not know, comes from the anglicized word euangelion, which is a Greek term meaning good news. And this good news was used uh, this word was used when someone had a victory. They would run a messenger, and they would take this messenger and go forth and, and proclaim the good news. And of course, with a message of victory, there's joy. And so this evangelism is going forth and talking to people, proclaiming the good news. And so we're going to look at how does this evangelism work. First we see that evangelism starts in the by the gospel being proclaimed. In order for fellowship to begin, there needs to be a clear proclamation, a clear message of the gospel. Romans 10, verse 14 says that Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching? How are you going to come to know Christ Jesus without being first told about him? So how will you see the truth? How will you come to know the truth if somebody doesn't come to you first and preach to you or proclaim the message? 
for the gospel to be spread, we must proclaim that there's good news. And this good news is found in Jesus Christ alone. This message does not stop with us, though. It doesn't just come to us. We receive it and we say, wow, that's great. I have so much great joy. And then you keep it in your back pocket. But instead, you're called to respond. It's not just hearing it and receiving it with joy. So looking at the account in Philippi, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke were on this missionary journey to spread the gospel. They were commissioned from those, uh, and they, they went forth to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And so while in Philippi, they met with a group by the river on the Sabbath. And these were women who were meeting to pray. And Paul with his team were going to go there, and they were led by God to proclaim the gospel to them. And we see that this little Rome, as Philippi is often called, must not have had a synagogue. There must not have been enough Jewish believers to have a meeting place. So these ladies went down by the river to pray. And when Paul with his team went down to meet them, they spoke the word of the Lord to them. I'm missing that. So in Acts 16, 13... And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And so they came and spoke to these women who were praying and had the fear of God. It said that Lydia was a worshiper of God, but she she was yet to hear the word of Christ. And so God used Paul and his team to preach to them. And then there's a second account of when they, Paul and Silas were thrown into jail. And all night they were praying and singing hymns. And God caused a great earthquake. And all the doors were open. And the jailer was sleeping on the job. And he woke up and he thought, his life was over because he was, if there was any that escaped, he would have got the same punishment as they were owed. And so he went to go and end his life. And Paul shouted out and said, no, don't do this. We're all here. Nobody is left. There's no reason for you to do this. And having great fear, this jailer said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Paul answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. And so he came, Paul came with Silas to the jailer's home and spoke the word of the Lord, Acts sixteen thirty-two. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They came and gave a clear message of the gospel. He didn't just leave them and say, well, believe in Jesus Christ and then walk away. Peace be with you. But instead, he explained the gospel. Just calling somebody to say, well, believe in Jesus and you'll be okay, it's not enough. They have to understand why did Christ die for you and why do you need a Savior? People have to come to understand their need for Christ Jesus. And we're commanded to go out. This is the call of the Great Commission, that we're to go out and proclaim the gospel. And this was not just to apostles. This was not just to certain men. But instead, Jesus commands us to go forth 
in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're called to go out and preach this gospel so that maybe in one day we would have great joy in saying, you know, I remember from the first day until now your participation in the gospel. So can you remember when you clearly heard the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And have you went out boldly talking to others about Christ Jesus and not just believe in him, but what has he done for you? Is there great joy in proclaiming the gospel? Is there great joy when you talk about Jesus Christ? But it doesn't stop at just proclaiming it. The gospel must be heard. People have to listen. There's many people who will go down and, and they'll shout. They'll talk about, uh, they'll go in, in to the street corners and they'll preach. And they'll go out and they'll, um, or you'll talk to people or you'll hand out tracts or you'll do whatever you can. You could post on Facebook. But if somebody doesn't hear it, you're talking to the air. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes by hearing, from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. So those in Philippi had to hear it. By God's grace, Paul and his team went out and proclaimed the gospel, but also by his grace, they heard it. Lydia was a worshiper of God, but she did not know this gospel. But by God's grace, grace, she received the message. Acts 16, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. When the gospel is being preached, when you hear about Christ, are you paying attention? Are you hearing the jailer and his family in Acts 16, 25? Oh, the, the, the ones who were in jail, the prisoners, they heard Paul and Silas praying and singing praises all night, and they listened to them. Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the pris- prisoners were listening to them. They were listening to their words. They were hearing what do they have to say. Acts 16.32 They came and spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer, and to all who were in his house. And they listened. They heard it. The guard and his household heard the message. He wanted to know, what must I do to be saved? So he intently listened. If this good news is what our life depends on, if that it's a matter of eternal damnation or eternal life, you're going to want to know the details. You're going to want to know, what has Christ done for me? But hearing it is not enough. The gospel requires a response. We must respond to the gospel. Paul says, when the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16, 30 through 31. Then he brought, to them out, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. We know that Joel 2, 2.32 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is quoted in Peter's preaching when he was preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And it was quoted in Romans that 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they know how to call on the name of the Lord? How will they know who the Lord is without first hearing? And how can they hear without a preacher? There's a call to repent. And when Peter was preaching this news, he, they came to him and they heard this and they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And he said to Peter, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Just like the jailer, what do I do now? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to turn away from that lifestyle we're convicted of. We have to repent. We have to have a changing of our mind against the sin that we have against the Lord. There needs to be a response of repentance. And this is displayed in a response of baptism. He said, repent and be baptized. Show the world that you are turning away from the world and turning to Christ that you're being buried with him, you're burying your old life, and you're raising, being raised to new life in baptism. And of course here, we believe in a, bap, a believer's baptism, meaning that it is a response, it's a display of our faith. Baptism doesn't save us, but it shows us, it shows others that we have received Christ, that we have received new life by the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, 15, with Lydia. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. There was a response. that You can see her character was saying, Come and have fellowship with me. Come to my house. I know you're travelers. I know you've come out to preach the word to us. And we received it with joy, and then it resulted in fellowship. We see this also with the jailer in Acts 16, 33 through 34. And he took them the same hour of the night. In the middle of the night, he takes them to his home and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. And he and all his family, then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Look at this joy. He started this fellowship by just hearing about it, and by instantly he turned to Christ. He had fear of God. He heard the message, and he turned to Christ. He was baptized, and he had fellowship with them. He once had no hope. He was ready to end his life. But he found hope and joy in the word of Christ. That, that he can find joy by believing in God. He rejoiced along with his entire household. Look at this good news. So have you received the message with joy? When you first believed on him from that first day, have you received it with joy? Knowing that I once was dead, but now I'm alive. That there's new life in Christ Jesus. This is a response of fellowship then, where he comes and he says, come, I'm going to take care of your wounds. Just like how Christ spoke about the Good Samaritan. That he loved his neighbor by caring for him. He didn't think about his job on the line. He didn't think about, well, the Romans are going to be very upset with me because I'm now going away. I'm on my lunch break to go home and, and eat with these guys and hear about this and rejoice because the circumstances that the jail opened up and the circumstances that he was just about to end his own life didn't matter anymore 
because he found joy in Christ Jesus. And so then he also went to his household and he says, you have to hear this. Same with Lydia. You have to hear this. There was a response by spreading the gospel. In verse 7 of First Philippians 1, verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of grace with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They were involved in supporting him, in praying for him, but also in proclaiming the message that this decade of this church, this church was established Paul's first or second missionary journey. And then after that, for 10 years, they thrived because they kept giving the message They kept proclaiming the gospel. So have we received and responded to the gospel in joy? Have you ever heard some of the greatest news in your life? Whether there's a pregnancy, whether there's a new job, whether there's, uh, you have a bonus coming or you, whatever good news you've ever heard that you've got a promotion or that you're, um, that anything. Imagine the time that you received the good news. Did you feel this excitement? And so when you found out this good news, and you found out that this great thing was going to happen, did you just keep it to yourself? Or did you go out and tell everybody you knew? so that they could share in your joy. So, if we have received the good news, have we went out and shared our joy with everybody, saying, look what Christ has done for me, and he can do the same for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent. Be baptized. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. So are we talking about this good news that we have received? Are we seeking out fellowship with other believers? Or are we finding our sense of community outside of the camp? Are we looking for fellowship with people who don't know Christ? Or are we looking to those who have been changed just like you have? If indeed you have been changed. If indeed you have received the joy of salvation. So it is not enough just to merely receive this gospel, to believe, to repent. But there needs to be change. There needs to come and take a root in you. There must be change in your heart and your mind. And we can see how somebody can receive this good news but not be changed. Mark 4, 16 through 17, when Jesus was explaining the parable of the sowers and the seeds, there were some who fell on rocky ground. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. When they receive it, they say, this is great news. But when they see the cost of discipleship, when they see that the world is against them, that darkness hates the light, I don't know, this is too much for me. I want easy beliefism. I don't want to suffer. But I ask you, is a servant greater than his master? And if your master is Jesus Christ, he suffered death on a cross for you. He suffered the wrath of God being poured onto him. But have you received the word by power? 1 Thessalonians 1 4 through 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, 
but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. When the word came, it took root. And we can see that with Lydia. We can see that with the jailer, that this Roman guy that knew nothing about Christ and who was ready to kill himself turned and had joy because the message took root. So there must be change. Change must occur for fellowship to continue. Responding to faith in the gospel is evidence that God is working in the heart of the believer. Now, Philippians 1, verse 6, Paul says that he who started a good work in you will continue it until or bring it into completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us read. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That Paul knew there was a change from the first day till now. There was a change in these saints, that they were in Christ. And this good work is called many things. It's called being born again. It's called being saved, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Or a theological term, sanctification. That you're being sanctified, you're being cut off from the old self to the new, that you're declining, that you and your sins are getting less and Christ is getting increased in your life. That there's this change, a continual change. And it's an ongoing work. And it's a growth and grace. And it will be going on until we're face to face with Jesus Christ. When we appear, we'll be like him. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. We have this hope. We have this faith. We're God's children now. And what we will be like has not yet appeared. We know that we still have the old man. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because he, we shall see him as he is. His glory will be revealed to us. And we will shed this sinful flesh. And we'll have new glorified bodies. We'll be like him. And what joy will that be? But we have that joy. We have that hope. Knowing that he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We have that joy knowing that Christ Jesus is coming back again. To judge the living and the dead. So what side of the aisle will you be on? Have you received the message with joy? Have you been changed? Is there joy of salvation in your heart? In Philippians 2.13, Paul says that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But the verse right before this, right before he's saying that he's changing our desires or our will and giving us power and freedom to walk in obedience. He's given us freedom to not sin by his Holy Spirit. The verse right before that in Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obey, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. There's a responsibility. We're called to participate in the gospel, to have a partnership in this gospel. And remember I said before, it is not passive, but it's active. We have a part. We're called to grow in faith. We're called to have faith in Christ and increase that faith by seeking him out more and more. Paul had this confidence. He had faith in the Lord's work. Paul is confident that God's grace changes people. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, notice, those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's this call to be changed and be conformed to Christ Jesus. There's a call to look to him. There's confidence also in the Lord's return. Paul has faith and calls others to have faith in the return of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20-21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That the Lord of heaven, that our Savior, is going to transform these lowly, sinful bodies to a glorious body. Just as John said, we don't know what we'll be like, but when we're with him, we'll be like him. Philippians 1.14 And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's confidence and Paul's faith built other people's faith. Other people were encouraged and strengthened knowing that if Paul is willing to suffer in prison and keep proclaiming, even talking to the guards about the good news of Christ, other people started to have confidence to be able to go out and proclaim, to do what we're called to do, to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Philippians 1, 19 through 20. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that which full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul was facing death. And he says, you know, I'd rather die and be with Christ, but for your sakes, I continue on. There needs to be that growth in humility. And humility brings unity. We're looking to others' interests. Philippians 2 starts, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, again, there's that name or that word again, fellowship, participation, partnership in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. We're called to find unity, and that unity is found by looking to others' interests that's more important than ourselves. That we would look not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. That we won't look at things for selfish ambition, to self-promote, or looking down on other people to raise ourselves up, but instead humility, looking to others. And this same humility is found, and it is exemplified by Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 24 through 26. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's remaining for the sake of others. There's this humility. And humility I've seen as but I've heard it defined as not thinking of yourself as lower, but instead thinking about yourself less. Stop making it all about you and look to other people. Look at other in, the interests of other people. And this change is a growth in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That was Paul's desire to be more like Christ, to grow in Faith to grow in knowledge, to grow in humility. Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss 
of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There's this knowledge of truth, a a knowledge of discernment, knowing Christ through his word. Are we looking to Christ's word to be more like him? Jesus prayed for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Peter calls us to grow in grace and knowledge of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and the day of eternity. Amen. We're called to grow in the knowledge of Christ. So have we grown in the Lord since we first heard the gospel? Are we continually being changed by his spirit to be more like Christ? Are we seeking out to be changed? The true change is shown in love, in the love of other, for others, in the love of God. And this love is the glue that holds this whole fellowship together. The fellowship of the Father and the Son is a unity of love. The fellowship of the Son and the believers is unity of love. The fellowship of the believers with other believers is unity in love. It's all brought together in love. And we know that we're commanded to love. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, Christ says to them, his disciples, if you have love for one another. So love must be present for fellowship to thrive. What is this love? We know John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. Who can we think of that laid his life down for us? That was Christ Jesus. We see that in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see that God humbled himself. He first condescended himself to the form of a body, his creation. He came and was manifest in the flesh. He, the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell in Christ Jesus. In that he came not only just to come to the same level of his creation, but instead he, he also came to be obedient to the Father, to be obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so we see that Christ demonstrates his love in this, that he came and died for us to take away our sins, to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, for those who believe in him, who repent, to, for those who follow him. And we're called also to love one another. Hebrews 10 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we look for the coming of the Lord and we want to thrive and we want to grow in the Lord and we want to increase our love for one another, we find it in the fellowship of the gospel. We find it with other believers. We can't look out to the world to find love. Instead, the world just is full of hate and self-love, the lovers of self. But we're called to have humility, counting others as more important than ourselves. We can see this in verse 8 through 11 in Philippians 1. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless 
for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Love must be present for fellowship to thrive. And the love that Paul had for the Philippians drove him to prayer. A prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer for them to grow more in Christ, that their love may abound more and more. We see that God, through Christ Jesus, demonstrates his love by praying for us. We see this in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Jesus said that to Peter that Satan desired to sift him like wheat. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you in that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays for us. We're to look to God as our source of joy, as our source of security. And instead of having anxiety, we have our faith in Christ. Philippians 4, 4-7 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. There he is again. Rejoice. The Lord is coming soon. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God cares for you. And he is coming back, and we can rejoice in the hope that we have in him. John 17, 9. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prays for the disciples. I am praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And he continues on in the prayer in verses 20 to 21. I do not ask for these only not just my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that you, the world may believe that you have sent me. He's, believe, he's praying to the Father for believers to have unity in him, to have fellowship in him. He's praying for the believers, and not the world. This love is shown as Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He's the one interceding for us. He's our great high priest. So we shall, too, also be praying for other believers. We're called to do that. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, first of all, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable, peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're called to have more knowledge in him, to pray for others to have more knowledge in him that leads to righteousness, that leads us to holiness. We see that he's praying for the Philippians, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Jesus says that he, if you love him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's fellowship found in the love of God, loving God and him loving us. There's fellowship through the Spirit. Philippians 3.14, Paul presses on to be more like Christ to be more like him, the upward call of Jesus Christ. We're called to love one another in humility, to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that we may be blameless and innocent 
children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This love aims to bring glory to God. Paul ends his prayer after saying, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're to be lights. We're to go out spreading the gospel, to grow in grace, to love one another. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're to go out and love. Be the light, sharing the gospel, finding joy in him alone. So are we going out and being a light on a hill? Are we taking the light that was given to us, that is Christ Jesus, and hiding it under a basket? Is our joy hidden? Are we hiding the light? Or maybe we're not feeling joy. Maybe we feel heavy. We feel distant from God. But he calls us to draw near to him, that we would look to him, that we would find our hope and joy in him. Ultimately, we need to live for the glory of God, not the glory of ourselves. We see that Christ did this by humbling himself to the form of a servant, emptying himself, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, in heaven, on the earth, below the earth, and they will do this all for the glory of God the Father, that every tongue shall confess, that at the day of the Lord, when he comes back, I just pray that you are doing it now, willingly. That you would have joy in salvation. That you would spread this joy. That you would be a light and find joy in the fellowship. Being united with one another. Finding, stirring up each other with love. And fellowship in God through Jesus Christ by his spirit is shared among us Christians. And this fellowship is active. It's not passive. We're to be in the ambassadors of the gospel. We're to be changed continually from the first day until now. Is there that good work working in you? Is God working in you to will and do his good pleasure? Or instead, are you doing all things by grumbling? by being upset and miserable, by looking to the world for satisfaction? Or are you looking to Christ alone for joy? We must grow together in fellowship, in love, and doing all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Christ Jesus, that we may be one him and also one in you. Lord, I pray that you would make us of one accord, draw us together, that we would stir each other up in love, that we would press each other on deeper in faith, that we would go out and share the gospel, that we would go and be the light set on a hill. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us and draw us near to you. Give us the joy of salvation. And Lord, draw us closer together as a people, as brothers and sisters, that we can know that we're a family, adopted. That 
Christ Jesus is a firstborn among many, that we can find joy in him. Thank you, Lord.